Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. I'm your host, Chet Czar. And we have an amazing show for you today. Today is an interview with blood artist Vincent Castiglia. And it was a really good interview. Really good. I was uh, pumped about it when we finished. It was like, wow, this is a really good interview. We talked about all kinds of different things. So I'm excited to bring you that interview. But before we get to the interview, let's get on to some other business. Uh, Let's see. Oh, first off, before I forget, because last time, last week, I forgot to read the new subscribers to the Patreon. Now, if you want to subscribe to the Patreon and support the podcast, it's just patreon.com slash darkartsociety. And you can join for a buck a month and you get in the Facebook group and get the podcast a day early and all that stuff. So, and it helps support this so that everyone gets to listen to it for free. And our latest subscribers are, let me see, I'll start with Doug. Because I think I mentioned Doug before. Doug's a great sculptor. I'm just going to start with him. If I say some that I said before, then oh well. Doug Stenat. He's got a a Patreon as well. He's he's a really excellent sculptor. I love his work. I'm going to have him on the show one of these days. It's just finding the time to schedule everything and... Okay, and Mateo, I think I may have mentioned, but thank you, Mateo. Thank you, Doug. Jeremy Della Rosa joined. Thank you. Deanna Palowski, thank you. Aaron Estes, thank you, thank you. And Uosu, Uosu Kanan, thank you so much for your support. You're making it happen. The podcast would not be happening without you folks donating and everyone who listens and doesn't subscribe you you should be especially thankful to these folks who are are pitching in because they're they're affording you a free podcast so give them a round of applause okay um let's see what's going on i'm still painting for this show at bain art gallery in australia and I've got about just under three weeks left to finish these 13 paintings. It's, it's, whoa, it's crazy. It's crazy. I remember when the Ego Death show happened in what, 2013 or 2012 when I started painting for that. I'm not sure. But that was the fastest I had ever painted for a show. And I think that was like three months. And this is faster than that. But, I've streamlined my technique so much and did so much prep work that the paintings are just going so good. I'm going to be able to pull it off, prepare and get to the essence of creating a good painting without a lot of uh, dilly dallying or noodling without knowing what I'm going to be doing. So I did these studies. I figured my colors out. I pre-mixed all the colors, tubed them up, got a process down just boom now i'm just knocking them out and uh they're looking really good 
and I sold the studies. The last one just sold today. So thank you everybody who bought a study that's uh, helping me to live another month. And uh, so that's what I'm going to be doing today. Back to the paintings every day until for the next three weeks, I have to cast the frames up. I'm using the, the same frame that uh, that oval frame I made for the, uh, what's that show? Not the villain show, the fear. I'm going to use that frame and I might paint it a little bit differently, but I'm using the same mold and they're going off to Australia. I think, uh, John Baynart, the owner of the gallery is going to be on next week as well. Uh, he's also an artist. He started the Baynart surreal collective. So this shit, he's an old friend too. He's a good, good dude. So anyway, let's get on to that's what's going on in my life. That's about it. Oh, I do, I do want to say one, one other thing quickly. Um, I, I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Chet right? And you can join if you want for as little as a dollar a month. But uh, I had an issue streaming because I do live streaming on there for, of my paintings. Or I'm something I'm starting to do more of. And so I had an issue because I was streaming from my iPhone. And I went to go do it. I had it all set up. It was, I was going to stream pretty much a whole painting being painted. And YouTube said, you don't ha you, we have a new rule that doesn't let you stream from a mobile device unless you have at least a thousand followers. So then that screwed the whole thing up. I ended up having to, I tried other, other ways, Twitch, I was trying and all this stuff. And it was really giving me trouble because I was um, trying to, to stream from my phone because I don't have a good webcam camera. So I ended up scrapping it, telling everybody on my Patreon, you know what? It's not going to be live because it was a, it was a tutorial I was doing and it was going to be a live tutorial. And so people could ask questions while I was painting, but I couldn't pull it together. So I ended up just recording it live and then posting it as soon as it was done on YouTube, which they allowed me to do. And they would have let me stream from a, a regular camera hooked into my computer. It was just because it was a mobile phone. So anyway, I just wanted to say, after that whole thing, and I won't mention this guy's name in case, well, now you know it's a guy. So I gave away a little bit of it, but I won't mention his name because I don't know if he wants it mentioned or not. But this guy was asking me about, you know, the issue I was having with streaming and I was telling him, yeah, I need a better camera. I need to get a DSLR that is streams to the web. And he was kind of asking, oh, what kind of cameras are you looking at? And I was like, well, I found this one that's kind of the cheapest that does everything I need. The dude bought me the camera. He bought me the camera. It was incredible. And he's already supporting me on the Patreon at a really high level. So it's just, you know, so heartwarming. And um, I really don't feel worthy. Uh, it's... I'm just so grateful for that kind of support. It's really incredible. And I just wanted to, to thank him personally on the podcast. So thank you so much for doing that. Really. It's just, I kind of honestly don't have, I, I don't know what to say about it because <laughs> it's just so blows my mind that someone would do that for me. And the cool thing is that now everybody in the, in the, on my Patreon is going to be able to benefit from this. So 
just amazing. So thank you so much. And, and, and then I'll stop saying thank you because I've been thanking this dude profusely and I just don't know what else to do. So publicly I'm doing it. There you go. You know who you are. Um, okay. Let's get on to the five questions. Um, okay. Stephanie pup P U P P E. What is the fondest memory you have of your dad? I got a good one. This is probably the fondest memory I could think of about my dad. I've got a lot of fond memories. Um, I'm, I'm assuming she's talking about my stepfather, who was the artist, because he's the one I, I had the relationship with the most. And uh, so I've got a great anecdote about James R. Jimmy, we used to call him. He's known, known to us as Jimmy, my stepfather. So... I used to do weird, I used to do weird little practical jokes when I was a kid and, and build things and make weird devices, little robotic things and stuff. And one time I had the, my Jimmy was, he, he was going through a phase where he was eating wal, walnuts. Like he had, he's super routine oriented guy, like up at four in the morning, meditating, painting the studio until like noon take an hour nap, paint and get up, paint until about six or seven. And then he would just chill in bed watching TV for the rest of the night and then go to bed early. And he went through this phase where he was eating walnuts, like whole walnuts, and he would crack them open with a nutcracker while he was watching TV. So one day I, I was, you know, maybe nine years old or something. I had this idea that if I um, cracked if I carefully cracked open a walnut and put a marble inside, I had this blue marble. And so I stole one of his walnuts, cracked it open, pried it open carefully, put this little blue marble in, and then carefully crazy glued the walnut shut and then put it back in the bowl of walnuts and just kind of <laughs> waited. You know, I, I didn't like push it, push it on him. I, you know, part of, uh, a good practical joke is you let it happen when it's supposed to happen and not get too excited and try and push it. And it's kind of, you know, looking back on it, it's a little bit dangerous because he could have swallowed the thing or something. I don't suppose it would have killed him. But anyway, I just put the walnut back. It looked perfect. Let me shut this door. My dog just walked. Open the door. So I just forgot about it. And then... <laughs> <laughs> it must have been a week or a week or two later or something or a few days. I don't remember, but it was to the point where I'd forgotten about it. My mom comes up to me. She goes, did you put a blue marble inside one of Jimmy's walnuts? <laughs> and I started cracking up and I said, yeah, <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, what happened was <laughs> he was, <laughs> blue marble in it and he just stood there staring at it <laughs> like completely puzzled like he had no idea how this marble got in this walnut so it was uh it was kind of like you know he didn't automatically go oh chet played a joke on me he was just like what in hell is going on here completely confused and baffled so that was a very successful uh a practical joke I played on my parents. And that's a one of my fondest memories of my dad. 
Okay, let's see. Um, Lana Gentry. What's up, Lana? Have you ever created on psychedelics? I, back when I was doing that, I don't really do it anymore too often. Um, I, I tried painting before while I was tripping or drawing and I was never able to get anything out of it. Like it always looked like shit. Like I didn't have my, my hand eye coordination. So I've never been able to do that. And I don't really need to do that. It feels way more comfortable and natural to do it sober. So no, I mean, yes, but nothing, you know, yes. And it was a disaster. I have done it and it did not work. Um, I will say though, one time I remember during the ego death show, uh, painting for that. Speaking of the ego death show, I had all the paintings like I like to do. I block them all in. I get them all to a certain stage and I kind of paint them all together. Like I work a little bit on one, I work a little bit on another, and I kind of keep them at the same stage throughout the process. So they all kind of develop together. And um, one time there was there's this painting called uh, Fetish, it was called. Adam Jones owns this piece. He bought the original. And I was looking at it and I could, for a long time, it's like something's bugging me on this. Something is bugging me on this. And I could not figure it out. I just could not figure it out. And I, I did one evening, I took some mushrooms and I, start, I started tripping. And then I looked at the painting I was having the problem with. And the thing that was wrong with it was like stuck out like a sore thumb. It was so amazing. It was like, oh, that's obviously the problem. And the problem was it was too, the head was too wide on one side. The painting really depend, depended on it being centered, very uh, symmetrical. And one side of it was just too far to one side. And it was, it was so weird to be able to see it in a different way. It didn't look weird or colorful or trippy or anything. It looked totally normal, except I could just see the problem, which is interesting. It says a lot about the psychedelic experience in that it sort of changes your perspective and allows you to see things more clearly, really. Um, and, and more as they are, it makes, you know, it makes me think, oh, so that was my own mental, it, it was like when I, when I was being sober, looking at that, I had, I couldn't see past this mistake I had made for whatever reason. I mean, part of it is when you paint, if you're right-handed, you have, you tend to be lopsided on your paintings and I don't know which side things tend to lean one way or the other I think I've read that somewhere and if you're left-handed maybe it's the other way so for whatever reason my perception sober wasn't seeing what was right in front of my face and it was only it wasn't until I was able to you know I was tripping and seeing and having a, a, an altered per perception that I think was really more of a, a actual perception of what it actually looked like and then it was it was funny that I, I it just struck me as funny that I couldn't see it before it was really weird and so I just took a brush real quick and made a mark so I wouldn't forget it and kind of painted it quickly just to fix it so
that's my best psychedelic painting experience. Uh, let's see. Carlito Brigante. Is the special effects world a boys club? If so, why not name calling? Just want the answer. Ha ha. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the second part means, but I, I can't really speak to the effects world now because I'm not in that scene anymore. But I do, one thing I do notice, it seems like now there's a lot more women in that used to be in before, but absolutely a boys club. Effect, makeup effects, always, for the whole time I was in it, it was always a boys club. And the women that were in effects were either seamers or they, they seamed uh, fixed seams on foam latex and silicone pieces that had a seam line from two molds being put together or the costume department sewing and foam fabricators maybe but you know you didn't have female sculptors you didn't have female mold makers every once in a while there might be one um there was you know and there was definitely outliers like margaret becerra Margaret Prentice now, she was, you know, she painted all the stuff on the thing. She was a painter and did all kinds of makeup and stuff, makeup effects stuff. And, uh, and there was a woman sculptor that worked on Darkman. I remember she was really good. Oh, I can't think of her name. Sorry. Linda. She's kind of famous in the, in the industry. She's well known. I'm sorry. I forgot your name. Anyway. It, absolutely a boys club it always bothered me um there was tons of sexism like overt sexism in effects i know of uh people people doing like nude body casts on an actress i mean i could i'm not gonna name names but everybody in the industry knows about this story um there was a an actress that needed to get cast nude they did a body cast of her it was like a model, really beautiful woman. They did a body cast of her. And, and then they took the body cast off and they said, oh, there's a problem with the body cast. We have to do it again. So they did it again just because they were perverts. <laughs> so that's the kind of shit that went, ar went around on a, on a daily basis. I mean, the stories go, I could do a whole episode on some of the stories. It was really disturbing and I always felt like uh yeah like bothered by it always it made me feel like I wasn't part of the team because I never was into that I was I was just not that kind of guy but I've always been kind of like modest like that and just not really comfortable being like that so it was just for me it, it was it was a bummer, but everybody was like that, or most people were like that. It was weird. Um, but I always felt like an outsider in life in general, so it was just one more thing. I felt like I wasn't in tune with everybody else. I know another story, just a quick one, where uh, this actress who got a, had to get a nude upper torso cast. This is a movie I worked on. Um and they took the mold off of her boobs. And then this one guy quickly grabbed a towel for her to cover up. 
And everybody gave him shit after that, after she left. Hopefully that's changing. Okay, Sandra Kasparis. Kasparis. Uh, wow, she asked one, two, three questions. So, um, uh, what drives and inspires you the most? I think, um, you know, the, I, I got to be honest, the thing that drives me the most is, well, that's not really true. I was going to say I have to earn money. I mean, that's a reality. I've got to earn money if I want to keep my house and support my family. So that's a big motivator, really. I don't think that's necessarily bad, though, because it's, you know, I'm, it's forcing me to make more art than I probably would have otherwise, which I, I think I may have mentioned that in the interview with Vincent. Maybe not. Um, I think what drives me more than anything, though, is really. I want to be I want to be I want to be really successful with my artwork. And part of that, I think a big part of that is that my dad never, never got there with his artwork. Like he, he was, there was a period where he was, I think, making pretty good money and successful. But for the most part, like this was in the eighties, maybe he, he was doing a lot of illustration gigs and making money and stuff. But, you know, I grew up kind of poor and, and it was always a struggle. Always money was always an issue. Always, always, always. So I want, I just, I've got this thing in me, like a personal thing that I want to do. I want to be successful with this artwork. I kind of want to do what my dad was trying to do and never quite got to do it. I feel like it would, I don't know, it would be. I'd be the first person in my family to to do something like that, become successful at something, at, at, at an art, and, and be very successful at it. Uh, I think it would make him proud. It would make my mom proud if she was alive as well. And, and so it's kind of been this goal I've, I've had the whole time. Like, I want to really, I want to make it big. I do. I want to make it big. I want to be more successful than I am now. And... um that's what I'm working towards. I just think, you know, I don't know. I like it when, I like it when the good guys win. I like it when people who come from nothing are able to become very successful. And I want to be like that. Okay. What are the main three things you did to become successful and or stay successful? I would say, number one, I practiced my craft that's the most important thing to me is to make sure I'm as good as I could possibly be and that my work is really good because if you're pushing your work and it's not that good, then you're kind of, I don't know. I couldn't do that. I couldn't push my own work and market my own work if I didn't really believe in it. And I wouldn't believe it if I didn't like it. And if I didn't think it was good. So the work has to be good. Number one, um, Number two was I embraced marketing, online marketing and promotion. I wasn't afraid to promote myself. And uh, number three, I'll say that I uh, committed to working very hard to be successful. Like I basically made a decision that when I started this that I'm going to pretty much do whatever I have to do to, to make it happen. And, and that means... 
if I have to do a bunch of stuff I hate, stuff, a bunch of stuff that makes me uncomfortable, like learning how to be interviewed on a podcast or talking to people I don't know at art shows, all that stuff, marketing, business, then I'll do it because this is the most important goal I have. And, and I'll pretty much do whatever it takes. And I think you kind of have to have that attitude to be successful at something. Really, you have to be willing to put in the work and do what it takes. So that's it. I think that was actually wait, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. That was five questions. Okay. All right. Anyway, that was a long time of, of talking. So let's get on with this amazing interview. Um, with Vincent Castiglia. Uh, I think you're really gonna like it. Lots of interesting talk and his story is incredibly inspiring, really. It's a very, very inspiring story. So on with it. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for supporting and enjoy the interview. What's up, Vincent? What's happening, Chip? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm doing real well. Good. Doing? I'm doing good. I'm exhausted, completely wiped out, but um, excited to, to interview you. That like oh, man, gave me a little boost of energy. My <laughs> honor, bro. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time since we started, really. I'm just, I have such a long list of artists I, I admire and look up to that it's just like, getting through them there's a lot there's more than i thought there would be <laughs> there really are and and thank you so much oh yeah no problem so um uh you're in la now oh wait first off first off do, do people call you vince or is are you vincent all the time vince is cool yes people do call me vince okay it used to be vinny Benny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There was an evolution of the name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in Brooklyn, people uh, definitely referred to me as Vinny. Okay. But my name, you know, I, I go by Vincent, but Vince is cool. Okay. That's what most people call me out here anyway. Okay. Because I almost called you Vince. And then I was like, you never know. Some people like to be called Michael or Mike. And it's like, sometimes it's, totally. you know. <laughs> Vince is cool. Okay. <laughs> All right, Vince. So you're in L.A. now, which is really cool. Um, yeah, man, I'm digging it. cool because I'm in L.A., so that's cool. Um, yeah. are, you're liking it? You're enjoying it? I'm enjoying it, bro. I'm I loving bet, the weather. Yeah, I bet, I bet you love the yeah. weather compared to New York. I got uh, my little garden going on. I do some gardening. Oh, you know, cool. I hang out with my cats. Yeah. Paint. It's, it's actually really nice. And you're uh, tattooing out here also? Yes, I am. I'm, uh, I just had a uh, major construction kind of happen. Uh, it was something out of out of my control. It was just a circumstance that popped up. So uh, I wasn't able to tattoo up until this point because of uh, a structural, structurally related issue in my studio. Right. So yeah. now it's fixed and um, moving forward. I'm going to be yeah tattooing. Yeah. Excellent. That's great. Are you just kind of doing it on your own? Or are you guesting or at the other shops um, or? I'll be guesting, but uh, primarily I just fly solo. Do oh, my cool. Own thing. That's cool. Yeah. And you, and you, you, <clears throat> you're, um, you're, you're in one of those, you're, you're such a, an amazing tattoo artist, not uh, aside from being an amazing painter, you're an amazing tattoo artist to the point where 
you know, you've got that uh, luxury of basically, I imagine people are going to you to get tattoos of your work, like original pieces and not necessarily going, I want a butterfly or (laughs) bulldog or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all custom, man. Yeah. Whether it's a variation on something that's pre-existing, everything is custom. Yeah. Uh, That's um, the way to do it, man. If I was going to do it, that would be the only way I'd want to do it really. I think. Yeah. It's kind of the goal I imagine for any tattoo artist. There there was a point in my early tattooing at which I, I felt the karmic weight of the craft of the art form, you know, and Mm. I was doing, uh, one point pieces because that's what people wanted. And by one point pieces, I mean like floaters, one simple tattoo somewhere that they may, you know, later on regret or right. something, you know, <laughs> a spur of the moment piece. Yeah. And I, I just started saying to myself, what I'm, what I know I'm capable of uh, producing, it, it's almost a, a sin, forget, right. you know, for lack of a better word, not to present that to them and let them know at least what they're choices are so that's how the custom thing happened and then at, when i began doing custom work it just spiraled out of control that's great and, you know that's kind of i mean isn't that the dream for every tattoo artist really to be doing custom work and really their own tattoo visions creating their own right 100 percent, man so and it is it is a dream i am you know sometimes you get caught up in the mundane mm-hmm. and all of the the BS in life Mm -hmm. and you don't, you know, have that moment of clarity to recognize that, yeah, I am living my dream and things are, you know, sometimes you're better, you're doing better than you're feeling. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm happy for you, man. I I saw your um, bloodlines, your documentary, which is really good. It was your story is incredible. It's incredible. And it's, and it's like, to see you become so successful after um, such a such a rough life, basically, is really inspiring. You know, it's a, such an inspiring documentary, and just your story is inspiring. It's really, um, I imagine it, it it will give give people a lot of hope. I, I thank you so much, brother, and I I do hope so. That was my hope in the end mm-hmm. you know, because it was so. Um, in many ways, explicit. I mean, not, not, but uh, it, I'm so exposed that in the end, all I could hope for is that it could maybe right. help some people. Yeah, I, I think no question about it. I mean, your story, like I said, your story is is so. Um, it's just it's weird because you know we're used to seeing inspirational stories on Oprah of, you know, someone that overcame whatever. And, right. and, but, but people don't look at a guy like you and realize your story is as inspiring or more ex- inspiring than maybe like your average mainstream Oprah type inspirational story, just because, you know, cause of, cause of your look and your artwork, people don't realize it's like, you know, it's, 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 uh, or I guess maybe the the average person might not realize seeing that documentary or knowing who you are and seeing that documentary, they, they wouldn't realize how inspiring a story it is. 
Thank you. So yeah. to see you doing well is just like, it makes me so happy. Thank you. So <laughs> like there's, there's hope in the world. Yeah, That's man. <laughs> and, and, and that was kind of like part of the message is that, um, you know, someone helped me and I try to pay that forward. Right. You know, and there are good people in the world. Yep. You just have to find them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there are a lot of ill-intended, awful, right. malicious, horrific people in the world, too. Yep. But there are a lot of good people. And uh, the good outweigh the bad. And paying it forward is a big part of, um, you know, my process anyway, my recovery process. And, right. You know, in general. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, okay, you started out, where, where are you from? Brooklyn. You're from Brooklyn. You were born in Brooklyn? Born in Brooklyn, man. Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. How, how, what, what was your neighborhood like back then? <laughs> it was like a good fellas sequel. At, really? Yeah. It just <laughs> continued. You know, we couldn't change the channel, but it was cool. Was it, it? Was, it was actually cool. It was, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was literally like that, man. You know, you had the, you know, you had the wines guys, you had. Really? You Are know, you serious? Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. Oh, I had no like idea. That. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's all done with now. Everybody's, you know, in, either in jail or dead or right. whatever. But, and then there were a lot of wannabes. Oh, wow. Know, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, tattooing in Brooklyn. I met a lot of amazing people and I, I did a, a lot of great work that I was grateful to be able to do mm -hmm. um, for uh, a long time. I mean, until I moved out of New York, which is what, just in September. Mm. So I had tattooed for the last 19 years up until that point in New York. Wow. It, it was cool. You know, I had a really varying clientele from you know um laborers to corporate people and yeah. it was it was an interesting mix and um yeah and it came with its own downsides too yeah <laughs> in new york city yeah yeah it's like dark side right yeah yeah there's a uh, plenty of both in new york yeah. city i think um last I, I went there and uh when i had a show at last rights and i no i went there twice one time when i had a show on last rights and i didn't really love it and then i went again and no no the, the last rights when i went for my show at last rights i loved it and then I, there was another time before that i went that i didn't really love it but it's like the last time I went, it was like, oh, I see why everybody says they love New York because it really was amazing. Yeah. You know, there's so much cool, amazing. God, there's just so much of everything. It's the center of the universe. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it sounds like an arrogant statement, but it, it, it kind of is. It's it's like ground zero. Right. Quite literally. Um, but it gets old, man. Uh, yeah, I bet. It for 36 years. And I did my time. <laughs> I want some sunshine now. Yeah, right. Getting my vitamin D, you know, finally. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt after afterwards. I was like, I bet, you know, it seems, it's amazing, but I bet it's more of a nice place to visit. <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't want to yeah. quite necessarily live there. Unless you were like, 
maybe if you're really rich, yeah, it might be uh, uh, a little bit. That would be a different story. Yeah, a different story for sure. So, did you tattoo any wise guys? I have. Really? I have. What yeah. were they like? I, I mean, they're friends of mine. Really? And, and, and you know, like, I mean, they're you know all you know people who've done their uh, done their time and, and mm -hmm. are in legitimate things. But uh, yeah, yeah, I have. It was an interesting neighborhood dynamic, and um, it was one of respect. And um, I was always on that side of the fence, yeah, uh, so it, to speak. Right. It it seems like I mean you know just just from watching movies and stuff, but also knowing about just kind of any kind of um, gang culture. I guess I, I guess you could call it. It's 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 more like it seems like if you pay respect to people, you don't get hassled. It's, right. it's about respect, really. Really, that's what everything is about in this world, man. I right. Mean, aside from, you know, human compassion and respect to each other. I mean, that's like uh, uh, we're talking about something else. But, uh, yeah, it's about respect, man, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, people of that type might be very scary kind of people. And I'm sure they could be in the in the right circumstances. But. I don't know. I imagine you as an artist in that in that um, neighborhood, you probably were able to. I, I I bet you had like people liked you. I imagine because you had yeah, you know yeah, your man, special I talent. I I made house calls. I tattooed all their families. And, wow. You know, it was it was actually a, a really positive interaction. You know, and and you know uh, relationships which I've maintained and good friends, but. Uh, it's a very different day, right? <laughs> in the world, and uh, you know, um, everybody is cooled out. So right, right. What, what, what year were you? How old are you? What year were you born? Like, when did you grow up I was in Brooklyn? Born nineteen eighty-two. Okay, uh, but we're talking about uh, I don't know, two thousand, maybe two thousand to two two thousand one to two thousand four. Okay. I mean, and, and in between, because I was tattooing people in the neighborhood, but then we had a, a joint venture that uh, was open for a while, mm. you know, uh, with friends of mine and, um, you know, some people went to jail. Okay. So that, that eventually closed up. <laughs> do, do you feel like, I imagine, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you feel like if you hadn't, become an artist that you would end up in different circumstances in your life? Like you could have been one of those people in jail. Oh my God, man. I think about it every day. Yeah. I think about that. How art has saved my life right. quite literally because art has been the purest container for everything that I couldn't communicate in any other way, you know? Right. And, and, and it's all there in the artwork and, and there's a catharsis and a um, creation that occurs that is just um, incomparable to anything else. Right. Making art, you know. Um, so I wish I could share that more with people. And maybe this film will help in that yeah. way, in that pain can be a great motivator. Right. And you can do something constructive with it. Right. And, <clears throat> 
you know, there was a book by I forget who called Plussing Minuses. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing my whole life, man. Right. It's just plus and a whole bunch of minuses. <laughs> that's a great, that's a, uh, a great analogy. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you, I, I always see art as like, you know, that's the one, it's the one thing that's always there for me, you know, aside from your, you know, your close relationships, people let you down, you know, situ circumstances let you down, but art, is always there for you. You know yeah. what I mean? It really is like a spiritual thing. It's, I think it's how people like us sort of, uh, are religious in a way. It's kind of our religion. It's, it's like, you know, absolutely, man, that is the altar, right? You know, that canvas is the altar or the, um, you know, easel is the altar. Yeah. And the canvas is the parchment. Right. Yeah. And then creating see- the artwork is the prayer sort of, Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. Anything that is a meditation is a prayer. Mm-hmm. The way I look at it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, in that way, art is meditation, and the physical pieces are prayers, in a sense. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you have? Do you know Alex Gray? I mean, have you met him? Oh. Of course, yes, and I, I have had the opportunity to meet him, and he was a very cool dude. Isn't he cool? Such a su- cool. <laughs> such a great guy. Yeah, I love his work. Yeah, um, he's amazing. I first saw his right. stuff in the in the in the nineties. That book, that first book, he I forgot what it's called. Sacred it's, Mirrors. Or yeah, something. I think so. It was real kind of big, like a big yeah. format book. I remember seeing that in uh, in Wacko. The, the Have you been to Wacko yet? No. Oh, you got to go to Wacko, man. The, it's at, it's um it's amazing. The um it's on Sunset and uh I forget. It's like the it's like the 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 east end of Hollywood, I think. But it's got Lelou's Galleries in the back. It's Lelou's Gallery, Lelou's de Jesus Gallery and uh, Wacko's in the front, but it's it's pretty amazing it's great i have to check it out it's it's a store then right yeah Wacko. yeah yeah but they, they, yeah they've got an amazing collection of art books and i remember seeing going in there when i was a kid in the 90s and or a young man and seeing his book for the first time just was like wow and then and then on top of it he's just the coolest guy ever yeah he really is <laughs> and man you know that's how that's how Giger was man he yeah the coolest guy really I mean, Speaking, you know, about prolific, profound creators, um, you know, he was the coolest dude, man, just a gentleman and the most down to earth guy. And and like uh, it was almost like, uh, you know, being in the presence of a God or Mm -hmm. it was intense, man. But he was always just a chill human being. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you got you you. I read that you were the first per, first American to show at his gallery. Correct. I mean, that is like you could quit now and, and be happy. That, that's like if I had that on my resume, I'd be like, I don't care if anything happens now. I have that. You know, that's, that's amazing. How I felt man, at the time and, and still do. Like, it was kind of like game over. It's right. Like, where, do where do I go from here? But um, yeah, man, and I, at that time too, it was such a um, contrary kind of parallel of events 
Like, uh, what do you mean? I was recovering from lung surgery. I just had oh, okay. the upper lobe of my right lung removed. Right. And I was preparing for the show afterward to the best of my ability mm -hmm. and was like in a really weakened state. Oh, my but God. Really amazing fucking thing was happening at the same time. And it was, uh, you know, the best day of my life. Man. Really? Uh, I would cite that as the best day of my life. Yeah. It was, it was hands down. Um, you know, my greatest honor. And, uh, you know, I definitely, I, I love the man and we'll never see another like him. Oh, definitely. And not in this iteration of the cosmos. Yeah, no way. The next. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I know. I, I, I love hearing stories about, I've heard it from a few people about how cool he was. Um, you know, it's so, it's so cool when your heroes are actually end up being nice people, Yeah. Man. you know, cause it's not always the case. You said it. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty amazing. I'm bummed I never got to meet him, man. But <clears throat> I don't know. We're all we're all one in some way, and somehow somehow we're all connected anyway. So we're all one in the energy field. Yeah, I totally believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, that's a concept that partially inspired uh, some of the series, mm. Autopsy of the Soul, um, the continuance or the persistence of consciousness, however infinitesimal mm. after death. And it's something that's fascinated me, not in the sense of uh, an afterlife mm -hmm. uh, or a heaven or a hell, right. but in the sense of energy cannot be created or destroyed. You know, it's the first right. and second law of thermodynamics. It can only be transformed from available to unavailable. So the energy that we are never dies. Right. And um, there's a book, which I would recommend to anyone by a Dr. Robert Lanza, uh, where he poignantly illustrates this with, and backs it up with scientific experiment. Wow. Um, you know, theoretical physics. And, you know, he's lauded as a kind of contemporary Einstein. So I, I trust the validity of the data. Right. Um, what's and, what's uh, the name of the book? Biocentrism. Biocentrism. I'm definitely going to read that. He's, he proposes a new theory of everything, uh, kind of like Stephen Hawking's. Mm -hmm. did. But his concept of the cosmos was that life issued from life and not dead inorganic matter. Right that there was actually this kind of uh, pre-existence of life or at least a blueprint from which it issued. Right. And that makes uh, sense to me. That just kind of sounds intuitively sounds correct to me. And part that's like, there's like many parts to the, to this postulate post, you know, uh, postulation or right. how you want to say one of the facets of it is that, Consciousness doesn't die, but it, that it continues in another form right. where those are what happens, whether it's recycled or annihilated um, at some point. I mean, according to this dude, our consciousness does not die. And that is something that is um, subtly illustrated in some of the this body of work. Is this the show um, at Dark Art Emporium? Yes. Okay, so that show is, uh, it opens, when does it open? What's the date? Uh, June 8th. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah, how many pieces are you doing for that? Um, I believe I have 18. Oh, excellent. 
Yeah, I got 18, and then um, we're doing a retrospective portion oh, cool. of the show, um, which will cover, you know, painting, sculpture, and it'll span my entire uh, career. That's great. <clears throat> yeah, Jeremy Shot is awesome, right? Oh, they are He's, just the best. Yeah, they're such a cool. They're a cool bunch of people. Jeremy's always been such a great guy. Um, Jeremy Cross also works with them, and he's super nice guy. So yeah, man, they're the yeah. best, the best cool artist too. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. it's he's a great artist. Yeah, it's um, I love his band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely he's carved his own little little there. niche, you know, of this yeah. kind of dark folk art almost in a way, like really and very punk rock. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I see the punk influence for sure. It's cool. It's been cool actually to watch him. Um, grow as an artist online. I've been watching his stuff for a long time. I've known him for quite a while, and it's cool to see his progression happen. He's really been like kicking ass. Absolutely, I, I'd see it a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's the fucking coolest guy. Yeah, super nice guy. They're all. It's a great group of people down there. It's. I'm so happy they're doing that. And it's so. It's. It's nice when um, another <clears throat> dark art centered galleries popping up and then the people are cool because that's one thing I talk about over and over on the podcast is how kind and cool dark art people are. They're like the nicest people, generally speaking, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> There's always a bad apple in the bunch, no matter what, but, but they're unusually cool people, like nice people. To be the Don't case. you think that's true? I do. I, I think that there is a, um, a kind of therapy or catharsis yeah. that they receive that they find in the darkness. So there is something being um, fulfilled, right? Or, uh, you, you know, or worked out. You know what I'm trying to say problems being worked out through the yeah. the work that aren't uh, left inside to fester and turn you into an asshole. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's the way to process. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that way, it's, it's, and it, you know, this whole idea of this podcast was like an advocacy podcast for dark art and to help people understand it better. And um, <clears throat> there's so, there's many different facets of why it's great in my mind, but that's a really big one. It's very, you know, it's got this therapeutic angle that really I think helps sure. people. You know, sure. I think you're kind of the perfect ex- example of that. It's like you, you, you've taken the <clears throat> really um, uh, dark childhood experience and 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 changed it and used it as as fuel for your for creativity and, and creating beauty. It's 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 that's like the that's the goal of like magic and alchemy it's like turning lead into gold it's 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 it it. it's the main thing of life (laughs) you know you nailed it i I don't even have to speak anymore i I literally said that in an interview with beautiful bizarre like you were just going about you know um the creative process being alchemical right really because you know you're pouring your psyche and your emotion and your energy into these things and they kind of become ethereal roadmaps right uh, like as a body of work Mm -hmm. it kind of delineates your progress of the the soul or the psyche you know right and uh it's it's a pretty mystical thing man yeah it is i mean it's i think it's definitely true all art is is true but i think it's 
the most true with dark art, <laughs> just because it comes from, for a lot of us who've had uh, childhood trauma and, and, and stuff, it, it, it comes from a dark place and it takes that, you take that and using your creative creativity, you turn that into something good. So you're taking, it's the lead and gold, it's shit into, uh, God basically, or whatever spirituality. It's like, you're taking the bad thing and processing it and turning it into something positive. So it's, it's like, it's just a beautiful thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's man. It's like that transmutation yep. of, of the base metal lead into gold. Yeah. To a in, inward gold. Mm -hmm. that, you know, the you, real gold. <laughs> the real gold. Not the gold of the alchemists. Right. Of, of you know. Yeah, that was like a meta. That was all a metaphor for 100%. the spirit, you know? Yeah, like I said, you just nailed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interview's over. I nailed it. Let's no. go. <laughs> So, okay, I want to get back just, just so for people that don't know your history, let's get into a little bit of that just so people okay. know your background. So um, you started, when did you start? The, here's the the typical question I ask all the artists, like when did you start creating art? Was it as soon as you could hold a pencil or? It was as soon as I could hold a pencil. Like as long as back as you can remember, you were always creating and drawing? I was always drawing, man. It, it was the... Um, most effective way to dissociate from my surroundings, right. which it just became the thing that I did. And that's what I did. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and there was no, there was no way around it. Like I, I can't really describe it any other way. It was, um, it was like who you were kind of, that was, it was who I was, you know, and I was always, always drawing. It just became something so much more over time. Right. Yeah, I mean, when that's... I started, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, when I started using blood as a medium, when I experimented with that and, you know, uh, in the midst of what I'd liken to a existential hemorrhage, right? because uh, it was a time I was under severe duress, you know, it was a really crazy fucked up time. And um, for the first time, something... 100% viscerally and psychically true was communicated like effortlessly wow. just through the use of it. Wow. You so know, you felt it the first time you did it, did you feel like, ah, this is it? Kinetically, I felt like, wow. that. like I felt the energy of it and whether or not that's placebo or psychosomatic. Um, Doesn't matter really. <laughs> if it, if it, it was, Magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that way. And it's a literal becoming of the artwork. So, you know, when I, for instance, when I step back and, you know, look at this show, I will comprehend fully that all of this used to pump through my heart phys right. physically and <clears throat> figuratively. Right, right. You know, and it's a, it's a, it's a strange type of alchemy. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, it's, it's, it's the, you know, for those, uh, you know, I'm sure I've, I haven't recorded the intro yet, but when I do record the intro, I'll give an intro about how you do these blood paintings, which is amazing. But um, for people who don't know, you paint with your own blood and I, you know, what's what I, I love about that. I think your work is so important in the dark art movement because we're all about, uh, at least me. And I think a lot of people that are listening to the podcast and into dark art, we want to, 
we want to show the potential of what dark art can be, right? And the concept of painting in your own blood is so conceptually, it's like ingenious conceptually because it, it fits in. It's, it's, it's dark. People don't like blood. It's, it, you know, it fits in that way, just kind of on the surface level, like, Ooh, cool. He's painting in blood. But the deeper level is like, um, it's, it's, there's like a, a, a metaphor there for, you know, putting it's all these different metaphors really. Cause I've been thinking about it. It's like putting yourself on the canvas in that way. Yeah. It's also the whole thing about, you know, bloodletting and how they used to, you know, to, to get cure pe- to people to from being sick, they would do bloodletting and, and it's, and it totally goes into the whole al- alchemy thing again. And not, not only that, it's like, it's a, it's a natural, uh, it's like iron oxide, right? It's like you nailed it. Yeah, so, iron oxide is a pigment, right? It's and it, and so it's just conceptual. There's so it's just it's brilliant. So it's kind of cool because the uh, what you're doing is not just great artwork and great imagery, but it's got a great concept behind it, which really elevates what you're doing. It elevates it to where I think smart people, maybe in the uh, kind of blue chip art world or the mainstream art world, would have to see that this is this is it. This is what art is about. When you come up with an amazing idea and then you then you you create it and you do it really well. Thank you. So so, so it's man. really good Coming for the you, man. That means a whole lot. Oh, it's true though. <laughs> I appreciate. It. <laughs> so it's great. So it's like you know I I look at. Um, artists in the dark art scene like like we're uh you know we're all uh how do i put it we're all we're kind of like spreading the good news of dark art in a way yeah (laughs) and we each have our own thing that we're trying you know we're trying to show another angle of it and another angle of it and there's kind of people i i feel like at the top that are really you know which you are there that are Uh are so solid in what they're doing and their concept that they're like, okay, I'm taking care of the blood angle over here. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do the old masters style monsters over here. And, you know, it's like, we're all kind of trying to like contribute yeah. to this yeah. greater thing to, to basically, you know, spread the word and, and, and let people know that this is kind of like a, it's a real legitimate, important thing. You know? Absolutely. And that goes back to the concept of like, you know, you want the real news, go to the streets. Right. You, you know? Right, you're, right. You're and that's what, yeah. In newspapers. That's, that's where it's. it on TV. That's where it's. Go, it's go a, to the poets. Right. The poets and the artists. That's who carry the, as you said, the, the gospel or the good news. And yep. the good news is there are avenues that are free of bullshit. Right. There are certain streams of consciousness and movements that are free of bullshit. Right. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. And, you know, I believe the dark art realm is one of them mm-hmm. because it's no nonsense. Right. Right. It's 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 the truth. It's, it's based the in truth. the truth, you know. So, OK. Anyway, back to your you you you've been drawing since you were a kid. And um, I, I had, I know, you know, from watching the documentary and talking to you and stuff, I know you had a you've had really a really terrible I, I don't think i'm overstating to say you had a really terrible childhood yeah very difficult and um you you know you've lived in circumstances that would could really break a person and destroy them and, and you're like i said you're able to come through it and um 
turn it into something beautiful. And um, you talk about kind of disassociating. Um, I my my childhood trauma was not near what yours was, but I, I did it. You know, when you're a kid, you you just feel it. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter really kind of what level it, it's at. Everything's it's like relative. Man. Right, right. When it's you're relative. when you're, when you're a kid and you don't know anything else and you trauma is trauma. And and I remember doing the same thing, man. I That's why I, I, I've become so comfortable being alone is because when I was a kid, I would just, you know, people were chasing each other around with baseball bats and shit and fighting. And I would just like go and basically sit under. I had this bed that was kind of raised up. And uh, almost like a, it was like a bunk bed, I think, without the bottom bunk. And I would go sit under there and just draw, or I would build my model kits, put the radio right. on, and just so like you, zone out. You know, you know, man. Yeah, you, absolutely. And and that became like my safe haven. You know, it was the only place I could go to because everyone else was there was nowhere to turn to. A hundred percent. So I, that's where it's like I, I, the art was there for me when I needed it. You know. And yeah. it's and and because for whatever reason we were we were able to keep relying on that <clears throat> as we right. grew up and feeding it and then it became kind of like who we were and then we were able to turn it into our life's work. Absolutely, you know, absolutely, it's an evolution, man. Right. So it's I can totally kind of- totally relate to what you're saying. Um, I think a lot of people can too. I think that's a lot of us that that that's the case. It was the. It was an escape, and it was also a way to feel like express ourselves. And therapy, it's therapeutic. Yeah, man. absolutely, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm pouring all of this visceral stuff into these pieces, and when I step back and have a chance to process them, there is an actual uh, self actualization there. Right. You know, yeah. you're posing questions and almost receiving answers. It's like a Ouija. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or totally, uh, man. You know, so tarot. Or, right. Or it is. It's the same thing, man. It's the same thing. It really is. It's like a, it's like a variation of that. It, strange things happen within yeah. the works, and like I'll, I'll, uh, you know, synchronicities related mm-hmm. to the model, totally or something like they're kind of again mystical in that way. Yeah, it's magic for real. It's really magic, you know? I believe so. I believe believe so too, man. (laughs) Whether it's a notion that we entertain, it's a notion I choose to entertain. Yeah, right. (laughs) I just, I just, I I mean, to me, it's like, it's, it's happened so much. Like you're talking about the synchronicities and just the weird shit that happens and the magical things that happen when you're creating art. To me, it's like, I just, I I don't want to say I take it for granted, but it's just, it's just normal. It's just that way to me. Right. You know, I just accept it a hundred percent as like, it keeps presenting itself to me over and over. So it's not, it's not a surprise anymore. It's still amazing and magical, but it's like, oh yeah, this is it. You know, right. <laughs> this is what it's all about. Because you've been relying, you've, you've seen it work. Right. Exactly. And so, you know. Yeah. It's almost like scientific experiments in a way, because you repeat the thing over and over and it keeps happening. You know, and you're like, this I mean, must be real. <laughs> that's how, I mean, I, I can't even imagine. And it's hats off to you, man. You are just so prolific. And and oh, the thanks. art is just so killer. And oh, um, how you produce so much, man. And It's only because uh, I have I really to. <laughs> admire that. 
Oh, thanks. I, I fucking admire it, man, because I, you know, I work so slow. I mean, really, a lot of the time, and it takes so long to build these things up. And uh, oh, I, bet, I would like man. to get to a point of painting, being able to paint faster. And you, you know what, though, it's 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 uh, because I've had to really. I, I I always say I would I wouldn't be I would be an obsessive worker because I do like to work and I love creating art, but I wouldn't be making this much work if I if it wasn't how I was making my living. So in a sense that in, in a sense it's pushed me to create a lot of work having to rely on it as a source of That's income. So it's like, yeah. So it's kind of like a bad situation that I've, I'm using it and it's, it gives a good result in the end, you're, you know, you're plusing a huge, you're plusing a minus <laughs> exactly. Right plusing a minus. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Anyway, I, I want to get back to like, you kind of the general trajectory of your life just so we can kind of get, get through the basics and then move on to the, the crazier stuff, the more uh, trippy spiritual stuff. But so you, you create, you created, did you ever stop or did you create all throughout your childhood as kind of like I created all throughout my childhood, man. Was, I mean, uh, I was hit by a car in 1990. So that halted things for a while. Right. I almost lost my left leg. Oh my God. Going to be amputated. And the doctor saved it like last minute. Gangrenous. Wow. Wow. That fucked me up for a long while, but I was making art. If I wasn't incapacitated, I've, I've always been making art in one form or another, whether just there's a lot of stuff that I'll doodle and experiment with and not put out because right. it's just not, you know, yeah. where I'm at or right. what I feel like. So were you like, a, did you have a primary medium? Like for me, it was always drawing. That was the one constant is graphite. Basically, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. You too. Yep. Basically drawing and, uh, 3d design. I mean, um, digital design. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've done a lot of digital design. I didn't know that. Yeah. What, how are you, how are you doing that? I'm Photoshop. Okay. Were you painting or like modifying photos or what? what, Both. Okay. Uh, Cool. So, you know, I do some digital design for in preparation for my paintings, mm-hmm. but they start with a drawing. Everything right. starts with a drawing. So drawing has been a constant, but uh, I'm experimenting with some sculpture now. Cool. I did one um, sculptural piece back in 2012, which was just a self-portrait mm. um, called Blood from a Stone. But um, I've got another piece just came out uh, in collaboration with uh, Intenebris. Right. By JS. And, um, you know, we worked on the sleep together and that'll be in this upcoming show. The oh, sleep. excellent. That was in, um, that was in conjoined. Yes, it was. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's was awesome. It came out amazing. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> okay. So you, how did you do in school during all this stuff? What were you, you're a terrible student. I was, I was, I can't imagine being a good student in that environment. Yeah. And they would send truant officers and they would not get into the building and just no one ever saw. Right. No no one ever saw. Did anyone ever try and reach out to help you in your situation or were they just kind of, you were just like the bad kid? I was just kind of just, I was in this situation alone, man. I was just (sighs) in this situation with my mother, Um, you know. I just, I just caught the brunt of it with, uh, you know, my mother, but, uh, right. you know, 
this art making process and this show in particular and this point in my life you know i'm feeling like a milestone of healing oh good through not only the body of work but through working with sigils which i've been doing for years oh excellent um in that uh, i'm able to infuse my uh my wishes or my hopes my intent into these things and create them and then let them go and trust. Right. And I did a 10 part series for this show called Medicina mm. Interiora. I'll, I'll repeat that. I okay, said sorry. <laughs> Medicina Interiora. Okay. And it literally translates into the medicine from within or the medicine within. Right. And, um, the whole, sh this portion of the show is relegated to healing. It's all healing, yeah, for, you know, personal healing and for the collector. I, right. that, that is the intent that's that's there anyway. That's really cool. Yeah, man. So you're definitely infusing kind of traditional magic to some degree, like chaos magic in a way. It's, if chaos magic. Yeah, if you're using sigils and putting it into the artwork and, and having an intent. I mean, all of this sounds like, nonsense to um you know half of the people out there but yeah unless you've done it <laughs> unless you've done it then you know it's not nonsense yeah you know well, that's the that's the thing and that's why i'm uh devoting this portion of the show to that because i feel like it's just necessary and it's where i'm at you know and um the the film was definitely uh, the film release was a uh, precursor to a lot of uh, personal uh, healing mm. with being so exposed. Right. Um, and really coping with that. Right. You know, and but a, a kind of self-realization and a self-actualization of where things are at and what they are mm. in reality and not to be confused about reality. Right. Because it's very easy to be confused about reality. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, you weren't a, you weren't a great student, but you're drawing throughout your whole childhood. At what point you started doing the blood paintings before you started tattooing? Right. It was right at the same time. That's I would interesting. Say it was just before it was before. So no, it was okay, years before. That's right. So. Don't you think that's really weird that, that that is another synchronicity because tattooing is so much like it's so there's so it's so similar. There's a lot of blood involved, actually. You Correct. Know? And but ironically, when I tattoo, there's not a whole lot. Of blood. <laughs> Are you serious? You know, because I got a pretty light technique and I build it up over time, you know, in passes. So oh, that's so funny. Ironically, all the blood I draw is my own. People, <laughs> not not them, you know, that's great. That's too funny. It's it's but it's another weird little synchronistic parallel, you know, cuz yeah. cuz the blood and needles and Oh, 100%. It's yeah. a trip. So it's like a weird cosmic thing that happened. Yeah, yeah you know. It's like uh the closing of a perfect circle right. of concepts. Yeah, right? yeah. So how did you how did you end up um starting to paint with blood? Like well, what what was that all about? Ah, man, you know, I was uh, I was still living with my mother mm. in a trash hoard. Right. And it was a stinking, uh, rotten, uh, completely decrepit uh, mess. And, um, you know, 
I dealt with her uh, illness every day in addition to what the physical manifestation of it was, right. which was, uh, you know, rotting filth that she could not part with. And I, I'm talking about like I would try to throw some of this stuff out in dumpsters and she'd bring it back and put it, take it out of the dumpsters wow. back in the refrigerator. Wow. In the refrigerator. Wow. Which you can see the light through. I mean, it was just packed with rotting wow. stuff. And uh, she would hoard these things. I mean, plastics, used sporks. Um, I, she would be like taking away gold from her. Or wow. Something, like running lunges and jump, jumping across the floor to get these used sporks back from me. So it was completely insane. Yeah. And when you live in something like that, you're going to have to find a place to put that. You're going to have to find a compartment for that Yeah, in, in your psyche and in your world and how you operate. Otherwise, you, you're going to turn into that. Right. right. Or you could blend right into it. And I really never did. I'm a neat person by nature. I'm like have OCD about wow. that. I throw anything out as, like as soon as I, you know, have trash. Right. So it was like, I mean, in addition to the, you know, uh, more profound um, abuse. The the hoarding was just like yeah, it's like another air of its own. Yeah, another layer of hell in an already kind of hellish situation. It sounded like to me. Yeah, I don't even know how we got into that, but uh, yeah. well, I was just uh, asking how you started with the blood painting. Yeah, so I was living in that. That's that's how we got into that. I was living in the under those circumstances with my mother. And uh, one day I used uh, some of my blood in a, in a piece. I, um, you know, pricked myself mm -hmm. and um, used some blood. And uh, like I said, I've never felt such a such a pure and true and real connection with the work. And um, I started using blood in small amounts at that time. You know, what, what gave you the initial idea, though? Do you remember? Or was it just like an impulsive, I'm going to try painting with impulsive, probably self-harming oh, okay. uh, type of Right, behavior. right, right. Yeah, if I want to be forthright. Right. About. Yeah, that makes sense. And, um, and that's how it began, man. It began under the most hellish circumstances, uh, you know, some, some of the most. And, and do you, you felt like, do, do you feel like it gave you some relief was that part of the feeling when you painted yes. with blood it was like ah oh, this feels better now yes amazing there was, there was a pain involved and there was a release and then something beautiful existed right and it was almost like giving birth mm -hmm. you know because i was so um fertile with toxic emotions at that time you know i was so um, pregnant with with all of this poison. I'm sure know? there must have been a ton of anger there too. Oh man, I, I kept a dream journal at that time. I've never showed this to anyone. Mm. I'd be committed. Wow. <laughs> Bro, I would have the most awful dreams every night. Oh living. my God. But I They were so vivid and so insane that I started keeping a journal and I have a full book of this stuff. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll publish it someday. Yeah. That sounds uh, incredible. It, it just involved like a lot of, 
annihilation, like being shot, being stabbed, and then the vice versa, having to defend myself and, you know, having to stab someone or, or uh, you know, really graphic stuff. Wow. A lot of death, a lot of decay, a lot of corpses, war zones, getting shot by soldiers. Oh, my God. You know, getting shot by my father. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know, and these were like every fucking night, you know, in that. So I guess what you could say is um, very much like a hemorrhage. These things came to a the vessel, which was me, couldn't contain it anymore. And, and this thing ruptured and wow. it ruptured at least in a in a way that I was able to smear some of it. In yeah. The productive manner. Right. Wow, that's intense, man. So you, 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 it felt right. You were getting something out of it. You felt this connection, and then you just kept doing it. You just kept. Did you just start I, doing it just because it felt good, or were you, were you? Did you start thinking, "Oh, I could kind of have this be my thing"? Or it sounds like it was very natural. It was very natural, and it lasted about. Uh, it was a two-year period where I was very much experimenting, mm. and I was experimenting with pen and ink and blood. Oh, okay. So I was doing these like delicately rendered pen and ink drawings, which were highlighted by blood backgrounds. Mm. And um, eventually I was getting, you know, I was so in love with the process and I saw how beautiful, you know, it really was to me anyway. Yeah. Um, I just said, you know what? I'm going to just paint with blood exclusively. Why am I using pen? It takes so long to render. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I'd like it to be purist and just be blood alone. So, and then I just started using blood and that was, that was it, man. I, I just kind of fell in love with it. Wow. Okay. So around that, you say like a couple of years later, you started tattooing. 19, uh, let me see, what was it? 2000 is when I started tattooing. And how did you, how did that come about? You know, I was heavily tattooed to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, I'd already gotten a lot of work done from, uh, he's a New York legend. He's a very low key guy mm -hmm. named uh, Mike Perfetto. Okay. And he was from the old school. Like he came from the day of like tattooing with no gloves and, you know. Right. Uh, not that he does that today. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, tattooing with two guns in his waist. It was like that day in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. But um, I modeled everything I did after Mike. You know, he was he was a very cool guy, and he answered my questions freely. You know, I I asked a lot of questions uh, during the time that he was tattooing me. Okay. And, um, I uh, I bought a kit and I practiced on one melon, and then a close friend of mine submitted his uh his body to me you know his flesh anyway right, right. And, um i would i he would, he was my canvas you know and he let me he was the one who really provoked me into tattooing because i had been drawing for years he's like you would be so good you know uh -huh. just get equipment you know you and I never considered it up until that point because tattooing was really heavy i mean that's permanent fucking right <laughs> i know it's scary it, and it was, and it, the idea scared me. And, I, and then I thought about it, and I practically worked out the logistics in my in my mind. And then I was like, you know what? This is absolutely surmountable. I can do this. Right. And um, you know, did my first tattoo look like my last tattoo? No. 
but <laughs> it was a natural uh, progression. And I would say, you know, um, I kind of hit the ground running in right. terms of being able to work huh. because it was there was a very, very small learning curve when uh, picking up new equipment and, and working with tattooing wow. equipment finally. Um, not in color. I will, we'll talk. I'm, I'm referring to black and gray. Right. Right. You know, uh, yeah, man. And that's how it started. My friend, Joe, I did like his whole body from his toes up to his <laughs> neck. Really? Yeah. Back of his head. Wow. Janet fucking ass. He's got <laughs> South park on his ass. <laughs> out of his mind. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So, so you, you, that must have been an exciting time in your life, right? It was, man. It was like forging my own way. Like all of know? a sudden, especially having come from just like years and years of shit, and then have all of a sudden having this, like, oh, I have an aptitude for this thing that can, you know, is enjoy. I assume it was enjoyable. Plus, you could make money from it. It seems like a big shocking change all of a sudden. I was waiting. I, I was not waiting. I was bussing tables in a catering hall car, called Gargiulo's Catering Hall in Coney Island. Mm. That's what I was doing for years before I started tattooing. And my last, it was, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad, but I needed, <laughs> I needed a new job. Right. It was just awful. Yeah. You yeah. Know, for me. And, uh, you know, working 16 hour shifts on my feet, having blisters and, you know, all for minimum wage, right. no tips. And um, when, when I finally put this together in my head and decided to start tattooing, uh, there was a very short period between, again, getting acquainted with that equipment and getting a bit of a grasp on things and then being able to do flash, which is essentially what I did for the first year maybe mm -hmm. i did some custom stuff in the first year a, a lot of freehand i was doing i said to myself if i'm going to get this i have to conquer freehanding everything and that's what i did for the first year i didn't use any stencils for anything wow. no matter how complex the stencil wow it just forced me to be like razor sharp which is what i wanted to be and right. i did my best you know um but yeah, man, that's that's really how it started. And it was like a kind of interesting time, you know, doing my own thing, making my own way and, you know, moving once I was able to and move out of this apartment that I lived in with my mother, the first night of peace, no bickering and screaming and cursing. Right. You know, no, no smell of rotting food and dog shit and piss mixed everywhere and maggots in my mattress. I did take the mattress, which was just completely piss drenched and had maggots in it. Oh, my God. And, but that's all I had was a mattress. And I laid on this floor in my first apartment and I was like, wow, this is what this is what peace is. This is what freedom is. Wow. And it immediately started this art making process because I dove into it. <laughs> I, I was tattooing and making my own schedule. So I would tattoo for like two weeks straight. And then I would fucking paint for like two weeks, tattoo for two weeks. straight. Wow. Paint for two weeks, Like no off days. I was just kind of uh, obsessed. Like I really fell in love with painting, but I was tattooing and it was rocking at the time. Right. And, um, 
It just must have been so exciting. (laughs) It must have been like a guy was in prison his whole life and then getting let out of prison and then just having like a really well-paying job that you loved and this art painting that you loved. It must have just been like, I mean, you must have been happy. I was, man. It was like, and that's why the art grew. That's why it was so um, inspired because it was exactly like you just described, man. It was it was like getting out of a kind of prison. I wouldn't, com- you know, I would never compare my, myself to being, you know, locked up in penitentiary, um, you know. But I'm it's like once, but thank thankfully I've never been in jail. Nah. But I mean, you know, just uh, figuratively, it's like it's a it's a it's like you had a rebirth in a way. You know, you were free. And I've experienced, it's interesting you say that because I feel like rebirth is not, or doesn't necessarily have to be a one-time occurrence. Oh yeah. I've experienced this as a cycle. Definitely. You know, the death and rebirth of many things and life is strange. It's interesting and strange in that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. I've had a few rebirths in my life. It's great. <laughs> it's yeah. like you reach a point and then something new flowers and it's like, it's just a continuation, you know, like a tree, like, a yeah. Plant. Yeah. Fractal keeps kind of life, going out. Life. It continues to issue forth when one way or another. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So when did you, uh, at what point did you, land a show for your artwork at this point you're tattooing full time or you're making your own schedule tattooing doing your artwork did you uh did you have a uh, like a gallery show or anything like that or were you selling the work or when i was tattooing in brooklyn well when you're yeah when you were painting going through this big painting period where you were painting two weeks at a time and stuff did you start showing galleries or do you start selling work or I kept it under wraps. Oh, wow. I didn't know how to even put it out at first. So I painted for like, say from tooth the end of 2003 through 2007 without showing much work. Wow. Almost four years in a hole, like in a, in a little dark corner that I carved (laughs) out for myself. And it was actually, very much a dark corner. I, the apartment building I lived in, it was sandwiched between two funeral homes. Oh my God, really? Literally. <laughs> so the back, my bedroom window faced the back of one funeral home and coming out the front of my building, it faced the side of the other. Wow. So I was constantly surrounded by mourners oh and people in nice clothing and flowers coming in. So it was a it was actually a really cool atmosphere for where I was at and what I was doing. Yeah. 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 Very dark art. <laughs> yes. Extremely dark. <laughs> what a trip. It's like being sandwiched between death, being reminded of death constantly on either yeah. side of you. You know, yeah. that's totally interesting. Right. And, and death is like one of your main themes of your work. It is. You know, it is death, rebirth mm-hmm. and the varying stations of experience and, and consciousness. In a way, you know, it just it just occurred to me it's in a way it's like uh maybe an expression of that time in your life. It's like if you think about it, you finally were on your own. You you things were things, you know, blossomed, you had your own space and death 
rebirth and, you know, experiencing new things. That's what your, your life was all about at that moment, I imagine. Yes, it you know? really was, man. It so, really was. It was like a, an unfolding like that I was just trusting in. And I, I was working maniacally. Like I, everything was spoken for in my calendar and uh, for months I had a five month waiting list Wow! and I was managing that on my own, Crazy. You, know, just, you know, and, and just, uh, doing it. And, uh, I would take a break around like midnight or two in the morning and go for a jog and get a cup of coffee, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it was, it was pretty, it was obsessive. It may have been over the top. Let's well, go. you know, you finally get out of that situation. I imagine you just want to like get as much as you can of the good stuff. That's you know, what it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like a starving person getting a, like a bunch of food in front of them. They're just going to eat right. and eat and eat. You know, I totally get it. That's very much a, a good analogy. <laughs> how it was. So, okay, what what was uh, the process of selling your work and showing in galleries? Like, how did you do that? Um, I just actually put it out there. You know, when I finally got a website, mm-hmm. um, everything was kind of cataloged or, you know, laid out. And I just put it out there. Um, just I've on worked, the web? Yeah, I've mm-hmm. worked with many galleries, but, uh, you know... Um, Mostly just word of mouth, man. Just putting it out there. Wow, you're like an inter- internet success story. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like the new that that was a time when it was kind of the new medium and a way to get the artwork out to directly to the people. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember your first the first time you showed at a gallery? Let me think. Well, my first solo show it was you know at at the H.O. Giger Museum. Um, that was your first solo show? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's that amazing. Was, like I said, it could have been my last. <laughs> right. I died happy, you know? That's too cool. But um, as far as before that, I know I had shown in some group shows. I'd have to look at my CV. Right. To actually uh, remember that. But um, I That's had shown in a number of group shows before that okay. show. Okay. Maybe. That's the most badass thing I've ever heard. My first solo show was at the was at the Giger Museum, and I was the first <laughs> American artist to show there. That's Damn. that is <laughs> that's amazing. Thank you so much, and I and I I take that honor with me, man. I, I I'll never forget it, brother. That's you so cool. So so uh, after that, you I mean, how often do you show you, you've do you show you don't show like once a year solo show, right? No, no. I mean, I have shown, you know, one show uh, concurrently with another before. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, it was pretty insane. I had two shows open. Like, as I said, I painted for years. Right. Without showing. So yeah. So you had, had a ton of work. I bet. Body of work. And I showed and I opened two shows at the same time. It was the HR Giga Museum in uh, November and Paul Booth's uh, Last Rites in December, which was a whole other body of Wow, that's so amazing. That that's even more badass. And <laughs> first and second show. First and second show basically around the same time. That's insane. That's so yeah. interesting. It's, it's different than anything I've ever heard before. That's really cool. So, uh, then, 
you know, I've continued to show, but uh, every couple of years, like okay. this body of work represents a four year time period. Wow. Which is unique, you know. Yeah. I, uh, I don't rush the art, I don't force anything. I, I do it to the best of my ability when I'm in the best mind frame. You know, I don't like to work on work either when I'm like in a, in a really bad spot mm-hmm. or, or whatever, you know, if I'm distracted by something. So um, it took what it took. Right. Yeah. That's cool that you got tattooing can afford you that to sort of go at your own pace, you know. That's it, man. If I didn't have tattooing, you know, I mean, tattooing, the decision to start to tattoo was the best decision I ever made in my life. Oh, I bet. You know, because it funded my my life. I'd be freaking home i'd be work i'd still be back at gargiulo's catering hall fucking probably working 16 hour shifts. wow yeah that's intense wow so your show uh what's the name of the show again at at, at dark art emporium autopsy of the soul excellent that's a great title (laughs) that's excellent thank you yeah that's gonna be cool that's at the uh that's the night that i i have a piece in a show at Copro, so I'm gonna have to try and get across town to go see your show too. Oh, awesome, man! <laughs> that would be cool, man. If you you know can't make it for whatever reason, but it would be awesome to see you, man. Yeah, no, I definitely want to see the show. It sounds amazing. Um, Got to get over and see yours, also. Yeah, that's a pretty good group show, the Seven Sins show um, at, at, at Copro. That should be pretty cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. So you're uh, you've Let's see. So now where you're at in your life, you moved to L.A., which is must have been a huge move. Huge culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like for you? That was a welcomed and due uh, change. It's like a new rebirth again. Another rebirth, man. And, you know, New York just got to be a cold, dark place, man. Mm -hmm. You know? And um, a lot of memories, uh, I'm sure. A lot of memories, a lot of bad memories. Yeah. Um, and the winters are absolutely miserable. You know, uh, I couldn't do the winters anymore. I said to myself over the last like two to three years, I can't, I just cannot do the weather anymore. I'm got, I gotta go somewhere else. It was either gonna be through, you know, between Florida and LA. Mm. And for the moment, LA won. You Excellent. Know, it's where I need to be. I, I, I love it. I've done so much work out here, tattoo-wise. You know, I got tons of clients, so um, it actually just works out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and and my cats are loving it. Oh, I bet, right? <laughs> they are in their glory. Right? <laughs> I know, my dog goes out. I was just looking at her today. One of my dogs goes was out there, and she just sunbathes. just lays yeah, in the sun. Was- <laughs> they love it, man. Yeah, that's really cool. So, uh, what, are you are you like, uh, God? It must be great making your own schedule, being totally in control of your life in that way, with the tattooing and everything, and having this clientele. I mean, it really is living the dream. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's a big responsibility. Oh, I you bet. Know, yeah, it's one that I I take that way. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know, it's a heavy karma, man. And uh, I always just want to do the best for my clients and stand behind my work. And, uh, you know, you do that and everything works out. Right. I agree. 
do your best and let go of the results. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically chaos magic in a nutshell as well. <laughs> right. That's a big part of the whole uh, um, manifest manifesting things through magic or whatever. It's it's uh, there's there's that stage where you have to let it go and not think about it anymore. Correct, and not not evoke it and not try to remember it. Right, right. It's like it, it, that's part of the process, um, and it's it's like not grasping at it. The, the result you want. You're not grasping. You're not desperately grasping at this thing. You're like, I've set my intention. I've done my work. And now I'm going to let it go. And the universe takes care of the rest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is a tipping point. There is you know, almost a point you can feel where it is time to let it go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're, you know, I think when you're in tune with that, you're in tune with spirituality or you're, you're that thing inside of you, you can feel things like that. You know what I mean? You can kind of intuit how you're supposed to be going. Um, I, I There's a guy I, I've had interviewed on the podcast named Jason Louv. He's kind of like an occultist magician. He's a writer and, and everything. And um, he has this website called magic.me, which teaches all kinds of different types of magic. And um, one thing he said in one of the courses I took of his was, I thought it was, was really cool. I've said this before on the podcast, was that... Um, Artists are able to intuit their own type of rituals and magic because yes. they're because they're, I guess the maybe the artist create creative mindset is um, you know uh, allows you to to do that more easily than maybe other people. So which is very in line with the whole chaos magic thing, um, you know, which is which is so fun and Peter exciting Carroll. yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah yep. <laughs> so, so, so you've you've read you've read all this stuff or a lot of this stuff it's the basis of a, a lot of you know how i comprehend what i'm doing wow wow when did when did you start getting interested in that sort of thing oh man i've been interested in, in reading um on the occult since i'm a kid man wow it, it, it actually started with <laughs> Uh, I mean, ironically enough, Satanism uh, in my um, teens, right? You know, and it evolved into just so much more. And and when I say Satanism, I mean surface. So, you know, it wasn't it, at the time. It was just like you know, Anton Lavey was cool, right? Right. You yeah. Know, uh, the Satanic Bible was cool, but it was an avenue to um, higher thinking, right? And expanding my mind mm-hmm. and. Now my library looks like the esoteric section in a Barnes and Noble. Right, my- right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like that that Satanism is more of like a a, a teenage type thing. Correct. You know what I mean? It, it appeals yes. to the rebellious teen, and it, and it does have you know there are a lot of basic um, occultist principles are in there. You know, yes. I think that's why it's not just it actually became something because there, there is, um, uh, uh, sound principles in there. Um, but it does lead, you know, like it, it, it's not the ultimate, it's not the goal. It's more like I, it's, it's kind of perfect for, I think a perfect for a guy in your situation growing up, coming out of that background, you know, um, and, and a way to kind of a doorway into, uh, esoteric, 
esotericism and occult and stuff like that. It was it was a way to understand that you are your own right essentially God right you know, with a small G. We're not, right. we're not claiming uh, grandiose uh, position here. Right, right. You know, but uh, we're all slivers of the whole, and in that way, um, sacred. Right. You know, and we can bring our focus and intent to a, a point of focus so as to create in reality. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting that you're into all this stuff because I didn't know. It's it's yeah. really cool. <laughs> you got to come over one day. Yeah, man. definitely. I know we're practically neighbors now. You're, what what part of LA are you in? Uh, I'm in East LA. Oh, okay, okay, that's right. Yeah, you told me that. You told me that before. So, um, yeah, I'll 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 I'll, I'll definitely come for a visit. <laughs> I would love to have you, man. Yeah, that's really cool. So, um. Have you had any experiences with, uh, like, out-of-body experiences by any chance? Uh, I have. I've had a few. I had, uh, well, I've had a number. Yeah. <laughs> the first one was uh, when I was hit by that car. Oh, and wow. I saw my body from above. I wow. literally saw myself laying there. A second time uh, was I was hanging up a canvas to be painted. And it was coming off a roll, so it was trained, and it kept rolling back up, so I had to nail it to the wall. And I was going to paint it nailed to the wall, and I had all these nails in my mouth, and I accidentally swallowed a nail. Oh, my God. A swallow reflex, and I ended up in the hospital. They eventually got it out, but they tried to do an endoscopy and go down my throat first, and they, you know, uh, what did they give me? They gave me a cocktail of propofol and ketamine propofol is what killed uh, michael jackson right they had to do that because of my drug history or whatever right but the combination between the ketamine and the propofol i specifically remember this i'm in the corner of uh, i'm seeing from in the corner up in the room and i see myself being wheeled in i mean clear as day right and I remembered it clear as day when I woke up. Wow. And then I've had some experiences with DMT. Right, right. <laughs> totally out of body experiences. Yeah. You know, I bring it up because you mentioned what were you talking about earlier about uh, consciousness living on? And uh, it made me think of I, I think the first out of body I had when I was like 12 years old. No, no, no. I was like 15 years old. No, no, that's it. Was, no, okay, I'm sorry. I had one when I was like 12, which was a terrifying, horrible experience with some weird entity standing over me and hitting me with the pillow repeatedly, which is terrifying. Yeah. But um, that's had, like sleep uh, paralysis. Yeah, yeah, it was totally like sleep paralysis, but it was very like regular consciousness. It was a trip. It was really scary. The other one I had was just randomly. I think I was around 15 or so. Uh, I was living in my parents' garage that was like converted into a, a band, a studio. So there was no light in it. It was really dark inside. And one morning I got up and then I went back to sleep. And then I just started, f as I was dozing off, just whoop, started floating around um, the room. And it was like the, my consciousness was completely 
vivid, like, wow. like I am now, you know, it's just like, I, it was like, insane. yeah. And I was floating. And the thing is, it felt so amazing. And I just knew, I knew this is, I was like, oh, this is the real me. It was like me without any of the like yes. chemicals going through my brain and regulating my my uh, mood, you know, the way the brain just kind of regulates you and keeps you in reality. And I felt like, oh, this is the real me. And it felt so good. And I remember I thinking, know what you, mean. <laughs> you know that I know that's a very DMT. Yeah, sense. totally. Yeah, yeah. And I and I was I remember thinking, I just knew it's like uh this is what it feels like when you die. And this is amazing. And there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. You know, right. it, it was like, you know, whether you're a, a ghost floating around is not necessarily the case. It's more like this feeling of complete wholeness and everything's cool. And it just, this, it was such a great, amazing feeling that it just, yeah. you know, really kind of affected my whole life and it helped me not be so afraid of dying, you know? Right. I totally get it, man. It, I, I took that experience with me too. Really? You hold it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you forget, and you start getting afraid of things, and then and then something reminds you, and you're like, "Oh, it's all good." Yeah. <laughs> and not only is it all good, but even fast forwarding to the most morbid aspect of life, which is for many people, death doesn't have to be. Right. Um, I am perfectly okay with it. I'm not seeking it. But when it's my time, I know I have done my best in this life and I can go to my grave, you know, with a clear conscience. Yeah. You know, and I, I know that. And I'm a big supporter of death with dignity. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm happy this state has it. Not that I'm planning. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I believe that's one of the big parts of the show is that Kevorkian homage. I felt like someone needed to paint a homage to this man because he was a hero in my oh, opinion. yeah he was an angel of mercy yeah there's a piece in the show titled angel of death which is a portrait of kevorkian oh wow you know with his uh uh what, what is it called his suicide machine right you know, yeah than thanatron thanatron uh -huh. <laughs> but uh that sounds amazing i'm a big supporter of it man i believe that in the last days, if quality of life is not there anymore. Yeah, it's a terrible thing to. I wouldn't want that. Right. It's a terrible thing to have to force people to suffer that way. Isn't that awful? Yeah, it's so inhumane. It's brutal. It's like, you know, you put a dog to sleep. Right. It's the, it's the humane thing to right. do. But human, you got to wring the last fucking drop <laughs> of right. money that they could squeeze out of the insurance company. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it really shows more than anything. It shows like a profound misunderstanding of death as a culture. You right. know, it's like we we have not squared our feelings about death. I mean, that's part of it. It's like kind of a cultural thing. Like we can't let go. There's a lot mixed into it, I think. But um, you know, uh, you know, Liz Lopez. Do you know the artist Liz Lopez? She, she, I know the name. Yeah, she's really amazing uh, graphite artist, and she is. Uh, she was talking about. She's also an anesthesia. Anes, I couldn't pronounce it last time. Anesthesiologist. It's not anesthesiologist. It's an anes. <laughs> it's like 
No, it's it's like that. It's some. It's got a little qualifier on the end of it. It's 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 a it's it's kind of it's basically an anesthesi- anesthesiologist. But um, yeah, which is really interesting because um, she's all into dark art and creates really amazing work. And she's also an anesthesiologist, but she had this background as well as being a hospice nurse and helping wow. people die comfortably, which is like it's totally heavy. And we, we talked about, you should listen to the, the, the episode. Cause she was talking about how it was so it was heavy, but it's also, you know, it's such a good thing to be able to do for people. I mean, my mother-in-law was in hospice when she stayed with us when she was dying and it was really amazing. You know, it was really, really an amazing is. thing to be able to do for people. It really is, man. And it, it, that is, uh, you know, one of the most difficult things in in life, and uh, I really gotta commend the people that work with the dying, and yeah. also just nurses in general, to be able to work with the sick right. on a daily basis like that. That would just I couldn't do it, man. Yeah, it, they're they're it just weigh me, yeah, wear me out. They're heroes. They're they heroes are. for sure. They're they're angels as well, you know. They really are, man. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you know you a lot of your work's about death, right? Yeah, and um, I think that you know a lot of dark art is about death, and it's it's you know the whole way that we view death in the world in this country especially is really the way that we view dark art as a culture. It's like nobody wants to look at it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Reality. Yeah, but it's going to happen to everybody. It's reality, exactly. It's reality, but no one wants to even consider it and think about it. Right. You know, and I think I think it's a very valid meditation to have. You know, yeah. uh, It's a very Buddhist thing, meditating on death. You know, I I heard a friend say that a Buddhist monk asked him to meditate on death for a year. You know, wow. and uh, apparently it's a it's a very Buddhist concept. It, yeah, it's like I think it's like an exercise, a Buddhist thing. It's like a thing that they do is meditate on death. Because the the point is to transcend it. Right. You know? yeah. And not having attachments to this world. If you can have that level of detachment, you right. know, that I guess is what they would call bliss. Or yeah. Nirvana. Yep. You know, because there are no more attachments to here. Everything is bliss. Everything is is well. Right. It's all good. <laughs> whether we die, whether we're fucking torn apart, or or whether we, you know, go out in our sleep, it's all good. Right. Yeah. yeah which is a, a hard pill to swallow on an intellectual level, but it's the truth. Yeah. You know. It is. I've been thinking about um, lately that meditation. Cause you know, I meditate and it's got a lot of different functions why it's good for you. Um, but I think one of the big things really is it's kind of preparing you for death, you know, cause, cause you're going to have to, when you die, you're going to have to let it all go, whether you like it or not. And it's like, when you meditate, you're letting go of everything. You're letting go of your identity of your thoughts and you're just emptying your mind. And it's almost like, this is, it's a, you know, prepares you for that moment when you ha- you're going to have to let go 
So you better learn how to let go ahead of time. Otherwise, you're going to be in for some Jacob's Ladder shit, maybe. <laughs> you fucking said it. You said it, man. Again, I can just shut up now. You poignantly just illustrated that. I, I couldn't even say it better. It you just, know, it kind of takes the sting out. Right. It removes the sting. It removes the, I wouldn't say mystery, because it is a mystery. Right. But it um, it demystifies it to the extent that we comprehend that everything dies and that it's just a natural part of the process and that any resistance to it is futile. Right. You know, so it's just, you know, living your life fully within the moment, the one true moment, which is this moment, because it's the only one we ever have. Yep. The past is history. The future is a mystery. Yeah. Right. Um, that's the point, the urgency of the moment. Right. You know, live your life to the fullest. Live, live every day like it's your last. Paint like it's your last. Because one day it'll be. But, you know, if everyone had that, um, I don't want to say, um, you know, that mindset or whatever. It sounds almost nihilistic, but it's it's the opposite of. It's, a po- it's the positive side of having an urgency for the moment. Right. And, 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 you know, meditation, also the, 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 the psychedelic trip when you're, when you have that ego death uh, experience to where it's like you lose your identity and, and you're God, you're one with God or whatever, your moment, the universe, that is, that's also the, the function. I think the ultimate function of psychedelics is to have that experience for sure. And it's, it's like meditation and that, that uh, peak psychedelic experience are very much the same thing. And those are b- both very much the same thing as death, you know, and it's, it's yes. all about letting the ego go and, and letting it go and being and not grasping and not trying to hold on to things. Absolutely. You know, so it's almost like meditation and, you know, tripping under the right circumstances are, are uh, ways to prepare for that. I absolutely agree. and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and the cool thing, because life is so amazing and cool, it's also teaching you how to live now. Just like you're saying, it's like the way you should die is the way you should live, which is not attached. Let things go, relax, live in the moment. And and the oneness of everything, right? The oneness in the field. You know, I am you and you are me. That's, it sounds just so hippie. That's true, though. (laughs) On a scientific physics uh, perspective, it's the absolute truth. And if more people comprehended that, it would be a a better world for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I kind of think that um, mushrooms becoming decriminalized in certain states and all these people getting on this ayahuasca kick and DMT, it's like, you know, there's probably going to be some fallout, maybe negative fallout because people do stupid shit and they're not informed about it. But overall, I really feel like that's going to go a long way to, to healing, to healing people. You know, I still agree. I I mean, agree more. Right. I've tripped, you know, I don't at the moment, but I have, man, I've had some of the best, most transcendental experiences of my life on psychedelics. And the way I view them 
is the traditional sense of being medicines. Yeah, absolutely. Because they truly are, man. I, I've never experienced the more of a, again, transcendental uh, connection to the cosmos and mm-hmm. a feeling of oneness and that things are okay than on. So, right. Yeah, so I could totally see what you're saying. I mean, they're, they're becoming mainstream now, like mushrooms being treated. Uh, mushrooms are being used to treat depression. Right. And PTSD you know, and stuff. They're going to start prescribing it and doing yeah. it just like medical marijuana. Ketamine is starting to be used to treat severe depression and PTSD. Yep. Um, there's a whole movement, man. And the DMT is just, you know, I could talk about that for. Yeah. <laughs> just a whole other level, man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, uh, I mean, when I first took it, it, like when I was, you know, a young man, in 87 i first tripped and dmt no no this was acid and mushrooms it was like a period of a period of a summer that i kind of discovered that i back then i was like oh my god the world needs to know about this this is like this is what people need it's like you just know you get in that space and you just know this is you know this could be the thing that saves the world i know it sounds kind of crazy but it's such a profound experience and, and it, and it makes you, it's like, it opens your heart up. You know what I mean? It makes you empathetic and, and, and you're connected with everyone and everything. Everything. Yeah. And, and, And it's so diametrically opposed to the culture that we live in now, this kind of real, very materialistic, fear-based culture it's like whoa it's shocking <laughs> you know when, right. you, when you experience the real thing and you're like wow how can everything be okay yeah. <laughs> how I can know. it all be good <laughs> it's a strange time man but i guess in any time period it could be viewed as a, a strange and quirky time it's a it's a strange state of the world man yeah yeah, you could say that about every time, and you could say that definitely about the '60s. But man, things are—I think things are weirder than ever before. Not necessarily worse than ever before, but they're pretty bad. But they're more like weird. It's insane. Like, yes, it's like weird, chaotic. To put it, which is a, another way I think that people that practice chaos magic are um, are like a little uh, have a little edge over the rest of humanity because cha- it, it's becoming more chaotic. And you have to trust the process. Right. Evolve or die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, basically. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just a trip because it's also, you know, the whole occult is becoming mainstreamed as well. And it's like, you know, it's good. It's ultimately, it's, it's a good thing. Cause ultimately it's good. There's a lot of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, hot topic occultism yeah, yeah. You know, too, which is cool. You know, but um, ultimately you have to look at the big picture. Yeah. You have to put up what you put up with that. You know, it's it's like anything that gets popular. It's like, OK, you got to put up with this this other side effect. Ultimately, exactly. the benefit is going to be the necessary. Right. <laughs> so it's just interesting yeah. that I just think it's a trip that we're in kind of the most. It seems like the craziest time, the most chaotic, out of control time to ever live in and then these things are are becoming are coming in the mainstream like like spirituality and occultism and psychedelics and these are all healing things 
Yeah. I mean, it would be nice if we saw something like a, a resurgence of, of what it was like in the 60s and 70s, you know, a kind of renaissance. That would be a, a nice thing. It would, I believe, like you said, heal things in mm -hmm. the world. I think it's I think it's it's happening because it's what we need to not destroy ourselves. It's kind of like, you know, part of this whole spiritual thing we're talking about is, you know, it's all good. Everything's cool. Everything is God. Everything is one. It's like that. The energy field of reality is delivering the medicine we need at the time we need it. I, you couldn't have said it better. We're in yep. just total agreement of everything. <laughs> and, and, the, and this whole movement of DMT, I mean, mm -hmm. that that's a particularly profound psychedelic experience. Like you can do that once and come back with the notions, being convinced of the notions of whatever my consciousness is doesn't die. Right. Whatever my prior reality was has no uh, attachment to what I am. Uh, constitutionally, the ego is dead, you know, right. whoever you were, your name, your address, it's just so far away. You're just a blank slate of consciousness. Right. And that time doesn't exist. Yeah. That this eternal moment is all that exists. You know, that's one of the most profound experiences I've, I've ever had. And it was thanks to DMT. Yeah. Like, you know. It's interesting too that you know we're at the you know with the climate and climate change and all this just crazy stuff that's going on, all of a sudden this thing is coming. You know, be, I don't want to say becoming in vogue, but DMT is kind of becoming in vogue. Like a lot of people are starting to experiment with it, and it's it's called the businessman's trip because it's so fast. Because you, you, that's what they used to call it. Apparently, the businessman's trip because you you go there instantly. It only lasts like ten minutes. And you yeah. come back and then in like 10 minutes later or 20 minutes, you're just like, I never had done anything. So it's, it's also just kind of interesting synchronistically that, that we're kind of at this tipping point and everything seems like we're right on the edge of mass an annihilation. And then we get this thing that gives you an instant kind of God moment. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, it's and clarity of, of what's happening. And I, it's as if like, I don't understand and I don't want to get political. Because I am apolitical, I'm not, you know, but the, the whole, the state of, of the world and in politics and, and what's become of that. Mm, it's yeah. Just, I, it's bizarro world. It totally. Like, like <laughs> really watching a reality TV show on a, on a world scale. Yep. It's just mass insanity and it gets more crazy. It's yeah. just, it's just, I just think it's so interesting that, you know, these things are coming around when it seems like we really need them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like the whole, that's what you take away from a, a, an intense psychedelic experience or even an intense meditation experience where you have that ego loss and you could see things as they really are. The, the overarching idea is everything's cool. Everything's taken care of. Yes. Everything is one thing. Everything is God for lack of a better term. It's all good. It's an energy thing. You don't have to worry about anything. And it, 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 kind of seeing how things are now uh, uh, and seeing those like like DMT come into, into public consciousness and spirituality and occultism, it is like it's being taken care of in, in that way. It's like we need this stuff, so it's going to come to us and it's going to be popular when it needs to be popular. And it's becoming popular now because we're like right on the fucking edge. We're on the precipice. Yeah. <laughs> so right and part of, you know, uh, what I wanted to also mention about that book, you know, um, 
biocentrism, a lot of these concepts which are at the forefront of theoretical physics, and in my opinion, are, are going to be the next uh, laws of science that, right. that you know, hopefully, um, the DMT experience and the, and the sentiments that you take back with you all line up with so many ancient I know. concepts. I know, it's There's crazy. There's a parallelism between the two that is so striking and things I've read in the past, you know, occult literature and uh, primarily Egyptian and uh, yep. Egyptian, Sumerian. Um, it's it's just really interesting, man, the parallels. and it's, Yeah, when you start okay. reading, when you have that experience and then you start reading this stuff and you, and you read this modern stuff, science stuff, and then you see this old stuff and it's like, totally in line with each other. You go, what? It can't be just by chance. And that's happening now. Right. We're talking about contemporary change. Right. Right. That's happening. Yeah. It's like, I, 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 you know, it seems like the whole world's just going to be destroyed and we're all going to die. But I, I, I feel like it's more like we're, we're being pushed to a point where we have to evolve. Yes. Instead of evolve or die. Yeah, on a grand scale. It's like we're being forced to do it because we're too chicken or whatever to do it ourselves in the first place. So it's like, okay, you're not going to evolve. Then you're going to be pushed to the point where you have to either, like you said, evolve or die. Here's your tool. Here's the tools you need. You know, it's up to you to either evolve or die. So it's just a trip. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's kind of like a very exciting point in, in history. But also, you know, uh, this, and this is just something uh, that interests me, but uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink. Have uh, you heard of no, this? No, I don't know. Project T- he's working on. Tell me so about this. He's, he's creating a computer brain interface by which the brain will, you will be able to operate just by thinking. Right. <laughs> and you can upload and download information. And this is real, man. This is happening now. Uh, wow. Which in theory, I mean, the implications are so far-reaching, and you know, uh, immortality is one of them. Right. You could you could be downloaded into a hard drive and and then just stored, or uh, it's just it's mind blowing. <laughs> it is. But I mean, that's the wacky side of it to mm-hmm. think about. But it's happening, is what right. I'm saying. Concretely, right now, there's going to be a product out. Right. right? I know it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's too exciting. You know, the other trippy thing, I think that I've said this before, um, that dark art is becoming more popular now. Finally, you know, dark yeah. art's been around forever, but it hasn't really, it, there hasn't really been at like a movement that's become into uh, popular consciousness. It's, a, it's another cool synchronicity that it's happening now while all this stuff's going on it needs to happen right now. yeah That's it's it, it's the same thing as you know the universe sending us dmt or sending us you know pop, popular occultism or whatever you want to say it's like dark art is is also it's it's there for a reason right and right now it couldn't have happened at an earlier time i mean when i first started painting the, even when I, back in 2000 it was like it, it, there wasn't a scene there wasn't really a dark art scene or a movement that you could kind of get involved with. And it's like, it's happening now. And Absolutely, it's, man. It's exciting. Yeah. And it's the, you know, it's because it's the time it needs to happen. It's the perfect fertile ground for it. You know, the, the way I think about it 
it's kind of like, uh, you know, precursors to the eighties and what was going on during that time. And the well, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, like there was the rise of certain drugs that were really bad. Right. But then there was really cool music. Right. And it's kind of like now there's an epidemic of opioid addiction and then there's, you know, really cool new things starting to come out. There's just similarities between now and the 80s that I'm starting to see. Right. And I feel like dark art and, you know, music like metal and people who are really um, brave enough to take a chance on their individuality and trust in what they're doing and not deep, not just copy and reproduce what the next person's doing right and uh there's going to be a lot of really inspired shit happening which i see happening already oh yeah so I, I think that dark art is going to be like the maybe the precursor to that yeah i agree i think it's i think you know i've i've said it's all along like i, I think it's you know i i don't want to say it but it's i kind of feel that it's like it's going to be the next big art movement that's how i feel i mean i I can't i can't see i don't see another art movement that's as exciting and vibrant as the dark art scene i mean can you think of another art kind of movement that's going on right now that has this much energy and interest i don't see it it's like the art the blue chip art world is kind of dead it's like it's so old and so that whole scene is like kind of it used to be the it was it it was like the, the pinnacle and now it's just it's just kind of being left behind by people who are actually doing the real work. And, um, you know, this is true for all different kinds of, of art as well. But I think the kind of dark art is leading the, the, uh, leading the charge. I mean, I'm very pro dark art, so I'm always going to lean that way, but I really feel it. So am I. (laughs) Wow. Well, I'm going to wrap this up because this interview was so good. I don't want to screw it up with anything stupid. Um, (laughs) um, nothing stupid uh uh your show is on june 8th it's called autopsy of the soul yes it is it's at um dark art emporium we'll have links and you can give me all the links for your website and their website and info on the show um is there anything you anything you want to any final words you want to say about the show or anything well, first, I want to thank you again, Chip, for having me. This has been awesome. And uh, yeah, you're my pleasure. Yeah, um, the show opens June 8th. Um, again, it's a brand new body of work and career retrospective. Uh, it'll feature two sculptures, one brand new and uh, some photography. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's really about it. That's cool. You know what? Now that we're ending it, I thought of one other thing I've been meaning to ask you, so I have to bring this back up. Technically, technically working with blood, are you, what do you do? One thing I was wondering specifically is how do you do highlights? Are you just not, wherever there's a highlight, you're not painting it? Because you can't erase that stuff, right? It's one shot, one kill. (laughs) Wow. Wow. It's like tattooing in that way. You can't fuck it up. (laughs) It's exactly. It's like a razor's edge in, in in both, uh, in, in both mediums, but yeah, it's, it's exactly that. So the light is represented by the absence of painting. Okay. Yeah. What's the surface you're painting on? Uh, usually Fabriano. Fabriano. What's Fabriano? 
It's uh, it's the oldest paper mill in the world. It's supposedly what Da Vinci worked on. Oh wow! It's watercolor paper. It's high quality archival watercolor paper, thick ply. Yeah, everything. that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. There, there's you know there was a bunch of technical stuff. I want. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through it because I'm so curious. You yeah. you're thinning out. You you thin the blood out to get different. Uh, darknesses and lightnesses is that is that correct true it's it's uh five different consistencies from just blood to um uh blood and a little water through just water and a drop of blood in there wow know? that's so, amazing <laughs> it's so cool yeah it's such a cool idea so okay this and sounds them. okay right right um, yeah, we didn't get to into, into any of the blood talk, but you, your your documentary covers a lot of that as well. Um, yeah. So this is kind of gross, but have you ever have you ever th- thickened blood by letting it coagulate a little bit? Yes, I have. Really, I had early pieces that disappeared. I, I don't know through from moving and all kinds of stuff, but um, yeah, I did some early pieces where I experimented with the coagulate. Wow, I don't have them. Right, right. But you've got you're you're settled on a on a technique. You're like totally comfortable with the technique you're using now. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure I'll experiment more in the future in different directions. But as far as a medium, man, I've uh, uh, I found it. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, is it is it all tiny brushwork? Do you ever use it like is. wide, you never use wide washes of blood? I don't usually. It's yeah. all tiny brushwork. I kind of build it up like a nut job and <laughs> in, in that I know these early passes aren't making a big difference, but they're making a difference. Right. Yeah. Really subtly working it in there. So all of that layered on top of each other, the effect is just so much different right you can't do that you can't achieve that effect without doing the work right and the, the blood doesn't get reactivated once it's dry when you're painting over it you if it can be reactivated with water okay so you have to be careful probably as you add layers onto it yeah wow it sounds really tedious and difficult it's kind of complex but <laughs> once you learn to work with it it's 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 a real pleasure man. yeah that's so cool it's like a kind of like a watercolor technique in a way. Yes, that's the closest thing I compare it to. It's somewhere between a watercolor and um, um, gouache or something, maybe. Gouache, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever? It seems like there's a lot you could, a lot you could do with it. Really, like, have you ever painted water? You know how they do water watercolors and then kind of drop the water into the. To, to let it, have you ever done that? I haven't done that. I that, haven't experimented with that. Do you, do you use like frisket or any kind of masking? Masking. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause it seems like you could do that. Like on a background, you could do like crazy, like really wet and then put blood in it and let it kind of get all yeah, trippy and then let it dry and then do the rest of the rendering. I, I've actually not thought about that. Oh yeah. Um, cool. That would be really <laughs> Cause I imagine. Paintings. What's that? Maybe for one of my next paintings. Yeah. That could be really cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. Really interesting. Um, the other, let me think. I'm trying to run over the things I want to ask you about the the, the blood painting because it's really fascinating. Oh, I know one thing. Uh, you're 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 uh, 
using your own blood primarily, but you you are you've started to use collector's blood. Yes, I have. When did you start doing using uh, other people's blood? I had taken donations uh, when my lung collapsed. Uh. <laughs> I was still having to paint uh, for that show after trying to recover. And I needed all of my blood at that time. So I took some donations oh, from okay. during that time. Um, and collectors have started asking me to paint their portraits or their pieces in their blood, which has uh, been what I've been doing over the last three years. Uh, Margaret Cho, um, Gary Holt, uh, you know, other private collectors who have been providing their blood and requesting that it be done in, in theirs. Some fully in theirs, some a mix of both of ours. Ah, interesting. Yeah. It's like the acceptance of death and the transmigration of consciousness, which is the centerpiece in the show, the triptych. Mm -hmm. um, that piece is mostly my blood. And then the collector's is the signature. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. What a trip. It's all my blood on, you know, for the painting, but the signature is just his. Right. That's so cool. And it's something he requested. Okay. Here's another, here's another weird question. All right. Do, do other, do, do different people's blood smell differently? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. So you can tell if you're not working with your own blood. Uh, different people's blood are different consistencies and smell differently. What a trick. I've, uh, I have noticed that. It's so interesting. <laughs> yep. I couldn't tell you why, but I can tell you that there were differences. Right. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. Wow. This is amazing. I feel like we have to have you on a, a whole other episode to, get, yeah. to get to the bottom of your interesting life. <laughs> so we'll definitely have you on again if you're cool with that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I know when we get off, I'm going to think about 50 more questions I wish I had asked you during the interview. So, no worries. Well, thank you so much for being on. It was really an honor, and like I said, I've been wanting to have you on I for know. a long time. And it was it was my honor and pleasure, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was awesome. So, everybody, thank you um, out in podcast land. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting on the Patreon. If you want to support, it's Patreon.com/slash Dark Art Society, and you can join for as little as a buck a month and help support the whole thing the whole movement and that's it thank you everybody for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show so goodbye everybody say goodbye peace vincent out. <laughs> peace out later everybody take care